0: Why are shares of Chinese companies falling so much? And how can the NCAA basketball tournament help you invest better? It's March Madness, Motley Fool Money Style. I'm Chris Hill, joined by Motley Fool senior analyst Bill Mann. Thanks for being here. Hey, Chris, how are you? Well, I mean, the market's up at this moment, so everything's great. Everything's fixed. It's over. Every, everything's fixed. You're welcome, everybody. Yeah. Um, let me start with an email that we got from a longtime listener and Motley Fool member, Tom Jones in Davis, California. He writes, I hold a small position in Yum China, ticker symbol Y U M C. Reports indicate this stock might be delisted for not complying with U.S. tax rules. What does this mean for U.S. stockholders? Great question. Um, and uh, I'll just start by adding it's not just Yum China. Last week, the SEC identified several. U.S. listed ADRs of Chinese companies that are not the SEC claims are not adhering to the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act, which says that if American regulators are not able to review company audits for three years in a row, the SEC can ban those stocks from being traded. They can delist them, and uh, so so Tom's issue is also the issue of. Lots of uh, many other companies. investors, and um, and there are ripple effects from the uh, ripple effects from this um, that we can get into in a second. But um, just in terms of the uh, this issue, um, am I correct in assuming that this is an issue that is only going to grow? And by that I mean the SEC has identified, I believe it's five companies. One of them is Yum China. And it's five right now, but it's all of them. It's all of them, right? Like this is the beginning.
1: It's five companies right now, but in actuality, it's all of them. There is there there is an American regulatory authority called the PCAOB, and the PCAOB is the is is the authority in the US that really judges the 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 accountants. And in uh, in Chinese law, their accountancies cannot be held. To the standards of any other country. so no Chinese accountancy uh, is by law supposed to open their processes to uh, to the PCAOB. So this is what you would describe as an impasse. The problem is, and why I don't know that this is going to get solved, is that in the United States in the interest of protecting American shareholders, which is what this is, is actually doing the same exact thing that the Chinese government wants. The Chinese government wants the Chinese companies to be listed in Hong Kong, in China, uh, not in the U.S. They would rather their listings be there. So, I don't know what the solution is. I do know that that, that this is a problem where Neither of the primary combatants have much in the way of an incentive of fixing it, other than the American regulators know that this is bad for American shareholders, and we've seen it in the prices of a lot of uh, Chinese company shares dropping substantially over the last
0: week. I was going to say, the past couple of days we've seen Wall Street firms downgrade bigger companies, better known companies, Alibaba, JD.com, Baidu all three of these stocks down around 25% over the last few days. I'm still wrapping my head around your comment that this is what the Chinese government wants. If this is what the Chinese government wants and this is what the United States government has said they're going to do, then why would anyone buy Shares of a Chinese company at this point in time.
1: Yeah, you know the J.P. Morgan, uh, I believe, yesterday called the Chinese market essentially uninvestable. Right. This do you agree? Well you know in in in, in, in our services we, we we greatly reduced our exposure to China over you know the ones that I run in the last year, really at least partially for this for this very issue. I think that going out of your way to gain exposure to China is probably a mistake. Um, you know, that does not mean that all Chinese companies are zero. It doesn't mean that all Chinese companies are, you know, are in the same boat. But you're you're dealing with an elephant fight and we are, you know, we we are mice in that situation.
0: Simple as that. Thank you for that visual. That's yeah. that's a very <laughs> that's a very clear visual. Um because I was gonna say I can I can imagine some investors talking themselves into like, hey, look, I'm just taking 1% of my portfolio, because if this does get resolved, then presumably the 25% of I do, JD.com, and Alibaba that disappeared in the last few days magically reappears.
1: Yeah. And, and like, that's not the worst theory in the world. I mean, there is, there there is a lot of, of money to be made when there is a doomsday trade on the table. And you're like, okay, all that needs to happen is not the, not the worst thing right that is that is a very valid way to invest but you better know what you're what 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 you are stepping into before you do it right like the odds are it seems at this point that 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 even if these companies don't end up getting delisted that the that the rhetoric around this is going to get worse that the that the situation is going to get worse maybe it resolves itself. And in in that case, yes, you will have one and one big, because Alibaba, the company is not going anywhere, and neither is Tencent, neither are any of these really, really large companies. But the question is, what outlet are you going to have if they get delisted from the U.S.?
0: But just to close on this topic, you wouldn't necessarily bet on Let me back up. I'm sure there are people who, when this news broke last week about the SEC, thought to themselves, well, now that this has happened, now that the SEC has moved this chess piece, some if not all of these companies that are based in China will resign themselves to, okay, we're going to open our books because we don't want to be delisted. And it sounds like you're saying, that may happen, but that ain't the way to bet. That, yeah, they they can't unless they want to break
1: Chinese law, which I can guarantee you is more important to them than American securities law.
0: Where do you find your eyes drifting over the next couple of, like, what should we be watching for in terms of this? Because it, after this conversation, and this is the first time you and I today have talked about this today, yeah. uh, so I'm learning this along with our listeners. Um, uh, I'm wondering if the next domino to fall is next week or the week after the SEC comes out with a list of five more companies. I
1: think maybe, yeah, possibly. I, you know, I think the thing really to keep in mind, and this has been, I don't want to say this in a way like, well, what about my needs? But this has really been hard for me to gather because my entire adult life has been all about global powers coming closer together and being more interconnected and what we're talking about here and 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 it's not lost on me that this is this is being done in the with the backdrop of a really really horrible situation in the Ukraine um what we're talking about here is a decoupling of two of the largest economic powers in the world and not that the stock market is the biggest way that they're linked but it is a definitive way where the US and the Chinese governments do have at this point you know a shared interest and I, you know I don't it wouldn't surprise me if there is an outcome that's not the worst but I don't see it right now
0: Let's move to a happier topic uh, because I think you and I are in agreement that the uh, the NCAA basketball tournament is one of, if not the best, uh, sporting event in the U.S. uh, that happens every year. And so many people, so many of our listeners um, uh, this week, are focused on the tournament, picking their brackets. Um, And I want to run an investing analogy by you because. Look, it's fun to pick upsets. When you're filling out your bracket, it's fun to look at uh, a number thirteen seed is playing a number four seed, and you pick that upset. And and depending on the you know the bracket you're involved in, sometimes you you're rewarded for more you know points and therefore more dollars if you pick early round upsets that sort of thing. But as fun and sexy as upset picks can be, you know it, it, we talk all the time about. If if you want to just sort of uh, have a great first step as an investor, the index fund is the way to go. If you want to try and beat the market's average return, you invest in individual stocks. And for me, I think making the NCAA tournament is the college basketball equivalent of beating the market because most schools don't make the tournament field. Think about what I. I, I we haven't
1: talked about this beforehand. So while you're talking about this, my mind is racing, like who is what? Okay, so the S P five hundred index fund, that's the that's the four number one seeds. I mean, those are the ones that you expect to win. They've got, you know, probably you're not talking about if we're gambling here, um You're allegedly. not talking about you're not allegedly, exactly. Uh you're not talking about enormous potential gains. But what are the what are the proxies to like Amazon? Amazon, the bet that people were making in 1999. Well, that's going to be something like VCU in 2011 that went from the first four as an 11 seed and made it to the final four, or Butler that same year. Growth stocks are those lower seeds, and you have to expect a huge amount of volatility in those returns. Right, Most of these are not going to make it, but the ones that do, those are the ones that are going to make people a mint in money. P.S., don't gamble.
0: (laughs) (laughs) P.S., there are better ways.
1: That's right. P.S., the stock market is very different than degenerate gambling.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. See, I was going in a slightly different direction. I was thinking, okay, if making the tournament is beating the market, go back to the beginning of the season. And just think in terms of like you know because that would be another interesting exercise to just at the start of the season say hey let's not wait for the bracket to come out in March let's make our picks right now who do we think is going to make the tournament mm-hmm. and maybe you get rewarded more points and therefore more dollars allegedly if we're gambling allegedly <laughs> um, for for the you know the upset pick that you know the South Dakota State uh, you know University of Richmond picks but what is the what is the safer blue chip way it's it's the per, it's the david Gardner line winners keep winning if we go back to the beginning of the season and say who do you think is going to make the tournament this year um you know i know this is boring uh, but it's probably going to be kansas right. arizona right. villanova duke's Duke going to be there north yeah. carolina They're, kentucky and yeah. you know, it's like yeah that's that's so you want those in your portfolio but you, you You want to have a little spice with the the great upside potential. That's where you throw in the South Dakota states of the world.
1: I love the fact that we are actually laying the line down for the new Motley Fool Service, which is just literally sports betting. Like, this is.
0: (laughs) Don't don't say that. Thankfully, nobody's listening to us talk right now. Full disclosure, that's not
1: really coming.
0: Bill <laughs> man, illuminating and fun to talk to you as always. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Often when we see a crisis, the instinct to want to help kicks in. But the best of charitable intentions don't always lead to great results. Robert Brokamp and Allison Southwick discuss how Thinking like an investor can be a benefit for anyone looking to support nonprofits in Ukraine.
2: When you see such a tragedy like what is happening in Ukraine, you might feel compelled to help immediately. You may want to donate money, clothes, time, food, anything. And if you've been moved by the images on the news, and you want to help in some way, Jennifer Gennaro-Oxley, head of the Motley Fool Foundation, joins us to talk about best practices for vetting nonprofits and making sure your donations are put to work effectively. Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here, Allison. So one thing that's been really fascinating in the last few years is just how really creative we're getting when it comes to supporting worthy causes these days. Like, Yes, you can still write a check to your favorite nonprofit, but Now you have way more options. And this was very evident in Ukraine. For example, people have spent an estimated $2 million booking Airbnbs in Ukraine. They never plan to stay in them just so the Airbnb owners have money coming in. And the government of Ukraine asked people on Twitter to donate cryptocurrency. And according to the crypto watchdog Elliptic, more than 100,000 people did exactly that. They donated nearly 60 million in crypto directly to the Ukrainian government. And then, of course, there's crowdfunding. I have a friend in Germany who was like, I'm filling my van with supplies and I'm driving to the Polish border. You can donate to my GoFundMe. I mean, the art of giving has really evolved, hasn't it, Jennifer?
3: It really has in big and small ways. Uh, Good Morning America covered a story the other day about Polish moms that were leaving their uh, strollers at the border for Ukrainian moms to put their children in as they move forward, because they knew they didn't have any equipment and had to leave really quickly. So, you know, it's been really encouraging to see the different formats that are used, the level and the scale, but also just the things that have come from people's hearts that they know they need now, especially in the Ukraine.
2: It is amazing how much you can see people come together and support one another, even across, across the ocean, across the world. I mean, let's get a sense here of how much we do give here in the U.S. So according to Giving USA Foundation's annual report on philanthropy, uh, charitable giving in this country reached a record, $471 billion in 2020. So where's all that money going? Well, there are about 1.5 million charities and nonprofits in the U.S. alone, and not all nonprofits are effectively equal or equally effective. Even if they have the best of intentions, they might not be the best stewards of your donations.
3: Yeah, but I think that the important thing to remember is to react with intention, but do your research. So contributing to a nonprofit in the wake of a disaster or conflict, it's powerful. It makes you feel like you're taking action now, but you need to take a few minutes to ensure that the organization you plan to support is reputable and has a clear response effort that ensures the intention is right. Uh, Charity Navigator recommends donating to online fundraisers, created by individuals with one degree of separation unless the fundraiser was created by a registered nonprofit. So there are a lot of tricks that we'll talk about to make sure that we're we're moving money into the right places with the right intentions as we go through this, Allison. but really just react with intentions and do your research. So with so many
2: creative options for giving, what is the most effective way to give? Because logistics are fraught, you know, in the, in the Ukraine particularly, it's a war zone. We have a humanitarian crisis. Is money the best answer here, or is money usually the best answer?
3: It's a really good question. Money to the right place at the right time is the best answer, Uh, more often than not. There are other times where volunteerism is the right answer, but in many of the situations, COVID is an example, the Ukraine, money to the right place at the right time is the best answer. I recently read an article on Vox uh, that said that hosting countries who are taking in millions of refugees can absorb much more in donations than they're getting right now. So think about those organizations, uh, organizations like the Polish Humanitarian Action, the Polish Center for International Aid, the Ukrainian Red Cross. These are just some of the organizations that can absorb much more donations. Uh, Even your local uh, nonprofits, wherever they are, in the US or overseas, um, they, they can take more than you think. Uh, And if they can't, you know, just make if you're worried about it, just give them a call and ask how they take donations and how they process and steward your donations.
2: So even beyond this immediate moment of helping in Ukraine, how how do you vet a charity for effectiveness to make sure that your money is
3: going to go far? There are some tricks to the trade that are very important. So first of all, the answer is research, 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 right? When you're in an action mode, sometimes you don't want to take the time to do that. You're thinking, I just got to help someone now. And to make sure that people are getting the funds that you contribute to them, as we always think, is the end user actually getting the funds? Is is Are they being helped? And the answer is research, research, research. So here's a few tips. Do check how watchdogs like Charity Navigator, Charity Watch, Better Business Bureau, Wise Giving Alliance rate an organization before you make a donation. Look to international donor advised funds or vetting organizations like Global Giving. So there are rating organizations. So Charity Navigator, though largely US, has a fair number of international uh, nonprofits and social uh, enterprises and charities, uh, donor advised funds, one of their jobs is to vet the charity before they actually recommend that your funds go there. The FTC recommends searching for a charity's name or cause you want to support like the Ukraine, like homeless children uh, with terms such as highly rated charity complaints and scam. So I've done this often myself and in recommending things to the fool, really done some online research with the name of the charity attached with some of those other words you'd be surprised what you find Um, do ask how much your donation goes to overhead and fundraising one rule of thumb used by the Wise Giving alliance is that at least 65 percent of a charity's total expenses should go directly to serving its mission remember there's a caveat to that 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 is a, a guiding principle and if a organization is new and it's a startup you may find less going to the actual people they serve at first because they're ramping up operations. So just know that if it's a, if it's an established nonprofit, at least 65% of a charity's total expenses should go directly to serving the mission. And then the IRS maintains an online database where you can check whether an organization is a registered charity or a registered nonprofit.
2: Unfortunately, whenever there's a high-profile humanitarian crisis or disaster, it's also a fantastic opportunity for scammers and fraud. The FTC, FBI, and others are warning against scams that are taking advantage of people who want to donate and help out in Ukraine. So what are some kind of
3: common cons that people should look out for and how should they protect themselves? You have to balance your head and your heart. In other words, manage your emotions. A little bit similar to investing – And, you know, normally you're passionate about something. You want to do something It's great and, or there's a real need and you want to be involved. That's wonderful. Take that on the side a bit because sometimes that can cloud your ability to be objective about the organization you're actually giving to or the cause. The other thing is follow your gut. If you see an organization promising too much or it feels too good to be true, that may be the case. Uh, and remember, when it comes to causes, there's usually more than one nonprofit that's servicing a certain cause. So don't get stuck in one group. Um, so second is the things about the organization and tactics that could be warning signs. So pressure to give right now. A legitimate charity will welcome your donation whenever you choose to make it. That said, there are things like our, our tragedy that's happening over in the Ukraine, where timing time is of, of the essence. That said, they shouldn't be pressuring you so much to give today, give now. A thank you for your donation you don't recall making. I don't know about you, Allison, but (laughs) I think I remember who I donated to five years ago, but I might not. So if you end up getting a thank you note from an organization you don't recall making, that could typically be a warning sign. A request for payment by cash or gift card. Um, Really, nonprofits shouldn't be asking you to do that. Um, they will ask you at times to give by a wire transfer, especially with international donations. But if you think about a nonprofit that asks you for a wire transfer, they're pressuring you to give right now at the same time, maybe you should look at that as a, a warning sign.
2: Yeah. I think another common one is that, uh, con artists might also be spoofing legitimate charities. So you might get an email and it'll say it's from, you know, the Red Cross or something. But then if you look at the email address, it's actually from, it's from red cross with three S's, org yes. for example, yes, or, or red cross.net, red cross. <laughs> Net, right. For example. So, so I, I think it's also important to like, if you get a solicitation, like go into Google and find your own way back to that organization's website so that you're not finding a trail. Cause they'll even make like whole fake websites that try to spoof a legit charity. Absolutely. So it's very tricky. All right, bro. I'm going to look to you for some guidance here because as giving gets more created, it's less clear what this means for your taxes. And I don't think anyone is seeing images of Ukraine and giving purely for the tax write off, but depending how and where people give come tax time, they might get a little confused. Like, uh, for example, are donations to charities outside the US tax deductible?
4: Yeah. And the truth is, it's actually more difficult to these days to get a tax break from your charitable contributions. Because, um, first, generally you have to itemize and since the standard deduction is so high now only about 10% of taxpayers itemize so for 2022 the standard deduction is a tad below 13,000 for individual individuals twice that for married couples who file jointly of course if your total itemized deductions are close to those figures and then you give a generous charitable donation and pushes you over then you actually could benefit from itemizing um, as part of the legislation passed in the wake of the pandemic panic, taxpayers actually were allowed to deduct up to three hundred dollars in cash contributions per person, even if they didn't itemize in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Unfortunately, that so far hasn't been extended to twenty twenty two. So, if you are among the ten percent who itemize, then you can deduct contributions to qualifying organizations, and these are generally known as five hundred one c three organizations, so named after a section of the IRS tax code. And as Jennifer said. The IRS does provide a search tool that allows you to look up whether an organization qualifies. And when you go to that list, you'll find many global charities, but not many that focus on just one country outside the US. Um, so for example, if you donate to an organization headquartered in Ukraine, chances are that it won't be tax deductible, but you can check to make sure. Uh, and also just, you know, buying something from a company that says they'll share some of the profits, booking Airbnb contributing to an individual's GoFundMe page, those types of things generally aren't tax deductible. Um, Finally, there is one way to donate money and get a tax break without itemizing, and that's a qualified charitable distribution. Uh, This is only available to folks who are 70 and a half or older. Basically, it allows you to transfer up to $100,000 a year directly from your traditional IRA to a charity, and it does indeed have to be a direct transfer. You can't take the money out of your account and then send them a check. You don't get a deduction, but the withdrawal is not considered a taxable distribution. Uh, Plus, it can count toward your required minimum distribution if you have to take one. Uh, So if that sounds intriguing to you, make sure you follow the rules, because there are some rules you have to follow to make this qualify as a QCD.
0: That's all for today. But coming up tomorrow, we've got a deep dive on a $120 billion software business.